Welcome to everybody out there. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio. And if you're out there listening tonight on WBCQ, famous international shortwave station, we'd like to welcome you and uh, we'd like to hear from you. 
If you're out there listening on uh, shortwave, uh, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com and uh, let us know where you are and give us a signal report and we'll get you a QSL card from uh, WBCQ. Also, uh, if you will, uh, hit the subscribe button on the video. Uh, This show is actually a video show on YouTube. So let me just mention to uh, you listeners out there on shortwave, if... uh, if you can, if you have internet, you can join us on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time. Just go to w5kub.com and you can join the show, uh, the video show, and you can join in the chat room and actually communicate with us. Please hit the subscribe button on the video. Uh, it helps us out greatly uh, to uh, uh, rank our, uh, our, our uh, program. And get more viewers, so uh, we appreciate it if you do that. Just wonder if um, if there are any new people tonight, first timers tonight in our chat room. Uh, if this is the first time for you to join our show, uh, say hello in the chat room there. We'd like to see uh, who you are and uh, let us know where you are. And uh, love to again, love to hear from you there. Um, I uh, just heard from Bill Brown today. Uh, he's up uh, helping clean out uh, a lot of, I, I don't, he's cleaning out the barn or some of his dad's old stuff up there. And uh, he had an accident, I think, at Walmart. I think they pushed some pallets or something over on him. And I think it may have uh, fractured his foot. So he's going, going to see a foot doctor today and we'll figure it, we'll find out how, <clears throat> how uh, Bill's doing here. Uh, haven't heard from Katie tonight, not sure where she is, but she'll probably be back with us next week for sure. Let's, uh, let's jump around the room here real quick. Uh, looks like Glenn is up. Uh, Glenn, how you doing, man? Oh, hanging in there. Uh, just talking, you know, before the show that there's that, uh, ham fest up in uh, Truman, Arkansas, about an hour northeast of here, northwest of here, uh, this weekend, so I'm going to be able to head up there and see if I can't sell some stuff and buy some stuff. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, <clears throat> that that, uh, that ham fest is over in uh, northeast Arkansas. That's my home. That's where I was born and raised over in northeast Arkansas, a little town over there called Wilson, Arkansas. It's probably no more than 20 miles from Truman, I'm guessing. I don't know. I have to look at the map, but... Uh, I may go up to my hometown this weekend. I might swing by there uh, at the uh, Hamfest and see what's going on there. So we might see you there. I don't know, man. But uh, like I said, I need to get out of the house. Yeah. This would be something fun to do. So. Well, talking about Hamfest real quick. Uh, Nearfest in Deerfield, New Hampshire, is this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Uh, so there you go, near fest, Deerfield, New Hampshire, Friday and Saturday. If you're up in that area, uh, drop by there and, and check it out. All right. Um, okay. Uh, let's jump over to Alan. Hey, Alan, what are you doing tonight, man? Hey, good evening. Good evening. Uh, good to see everybody. Uh, sorry I've been absent the last couple of weeks. This work's been keeping me really busy. But uh, real good. Thanks for picking up uh, the note there on uh, Nearfest. Um, it's Deerfield, New Hampshire. Unfortunately, that's a good four and a half hours for me. So probably not going to be going up to that. But uh, pretty cool that it's a two-day thing, Friday and Saturday. 
So if you're anywhere in the area, uh, it's one of the larger ham fests here in the Northeast. So it uh, sounds like it would be a good time. Uh, weather, I think Friday is supposed to be good. Saturday is a little bit iffy, but uh, at least here in New Jersey. But uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, should have a good show tonight. Um, I do have a little bit of a, uh, a topic for tonight. thought we'd chat a little bit about the basics <coughs> of superheterodyne receivers. So, uh, you know, not, not going into it in too much depth, but at least to give you uh, enough of a background to understand how they work. So that would be fun. Okay, uh, very good. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, and I've got a little short video here on a tower that just folds up or rolls up. Glenn, I think you know what I'm talking about uh, from uh, the Memphis uh, Homeland Security. Tower. Do you you remember ever seeing? Well, Glenn's it's Glenn. Glenn, you remember seeing that tower at uh, in Memphis? I never saw it, but I saw your your video of it. I want yeah. one. All right. Well, I've got it here, uh, and we're going to talk about it here. Okay. Well, hey, want to welcome uh, Jeff here, KM4QBC in the chat room area. He is one of the dead possums. And guys, if you want to hear some good music, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, he and his son opened up the show one night uh, playing and singing on our front porch over in uh, North Carolina. So I'm glad uh, glad Jeff's with us. Hey, Jeff, uh, we built Jeff a 40-meter antenna when I was over there a couple weeks ago. Jeff, uh, did you ever get that antenna in the air yet? Are you on 40 meters? Just let us know. Well, all right. Let, let's see. Um, I uh, I think we ought to just jump right into the show tonight and just talk about it. Let's talk. Let's uh, let's get Alan in here first and uh, let's get started with super heterodynes. I think he's going to talk about super het receivers. So Alan, you wanna you wanna go ahead and get started? Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, back in the very very early days of radio, I guess uh, a lot of rigs were uh, TRF radios or tuned RF stages. Uh, where when you turn the dial to tune in a station, you're actually tuning a bandpass filter to select the particular station that you wanted to go tune to. And uh, when you start getting over a wide frequency band or want to do multibands, that becomes uh, extraordinarily difficult to do. So actually, uh, Edwin Armstrong in 1918 actually invented the, uh, the superheterodyne uh, concept for receivers, and of course the same works in transmitters as well. So I thought I'd just uh, kind of review uh, what that architecture looks like. So let me uh, let me start up with a screen share here. If I could find the right one, and uh, let me know if you can see that. We can. So that we can on the outgoing. Let feed. me uh, let me kind of make things look a little better from this side. Okay. Get those pictures out of the yeah. way. There we go. That'll help. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So superheterodyne receivers. Um, really, there's two key elements that make a superhet work. Okay. Um, as a frequency conversion, which is going to have to have to do with mixing and mixers. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And filtering, and that really has all to do with uh, processing in the IF. So maybe a couple of different definitions here. Uh, where does the name superheterodyne come from? Well, the heterodyne uh, is a term, you know, when you beat two signals against each other uh, and mix two signals against each other, you create things like sum and difference frequencies and things like that. And that's 
a typical heterodyne process. You know, if you've ever listened to, you know, tuned off of an AM station with listening to a single sideband, you've, you've heard the beat note of the carrier. That's due to the heterodyne of the carrier against the uh, the BFO. And it's also typically how we uh, we listen to CW is by heterodyning. Um, heterodyning for audio results like that is, is typically just called, you know, a heterodyne operation. Superheterodyne means... Um, the word super was added there for when you're doing this heterodyne operation or this mixing operation at ultrasonic or above audio frequencies where you can't hear it. So that's that's the only thing that's super about superheterodyne is the fact that uh, you're not at audio frequencies, you're at some other uh, higher frequency. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about mixers first because uh, that's kind of the key in how superheads work. So we'll just talk about in general what mixers do. And then we'll talk a little bit about the job that uh, the IF does, uh, IF filtering. IF, if you're not familiar with that uh, uh, abbreviation, stands for intermediate frequency. And, uh, and we'll talk about what we mean by that shortly. But uh, it really is a, an intermediate stage uh, where we're converting signals into an intermediate stage there, and, uh, or maybe sometimes more than one. And that's called the IF or intermediate frequency stage. So when we start talking about the block diagram, it'll become a little bit clearer. So let's start off with just a little bit of an overview of mixers. Okay. And uh, you know, a mixer, I'm just drawing kind of a very generic diagram here. There's lots of different forms of mixers. Uh, you know, kind of a classic, you know, diode ring double balance mixer is what uh, most of us have we built our radios and things like that have probably built one. Or if you've ever uh, you know built a, a, an R, a radio device using like an NE602 or uh, 612. They use a different type of a mixer called a Gilbert cell. It's a Gilbert cell multiplier, but effectively does a mixer. So really what, uh, what a mixer does is it, uh, it takes two inputs, uh, one that we'll call a local oscillator, okay, that we're going to generate inside the receiver, basically an oscillator that's inside the receiver. And then our input frequency coming effectively from the front end of the radio, from the antenna. Okay, but uh, let's just let's just call it generically frequency in or F in for now, and we've got our F L O, the frequency of the L O. Both those two signals are going into the mixer, and that's going to produce an output. Okay, and what is that output going to be going to be consist going to consist of? Well, that output actually consists of a number of components. Even if the local oscillator is one frequency, and I'm putting a single frequency into F in, we're going to get multiple frequencies out of the output. We're going to get the sum, an output that is the sum of the input frequency and the local oscillator frequency. And we're also going to get the difference between those two. And it could be uh, frequency in minus the frequency of the LO or frequency of the LO minus the frequency in, which really whichever one is higher. Okay. And that actually is a little bit of a property that can come to bite us a little bit later. So we'll talk about that here in a moment. So a way to look at this graphically is to say, okay, I've got an input frequency. Let's let's picture this as a, a spectrum analyzer axis or a band scope ax, uh, axis where we're looking at frequency across the, the x-axis here, amplitude in this direction. So I've got a signal sitting at F in. I've got a signal sitting at my local oscillator frequency. Um, so if I look at the sum of those two, I get an output on F out here at the frequency equal to the sum of those frequencies. And I'll also get an output here 
at the difference of those frequencies, FLO minus FLN, or in this case, since FLO is higher than that. So we've converted you know, this input signal that we want to receive to one of two places in the frequency spectrum. So what we'll wind up doing is essentially using a filter to select one of them and not the other, okay? But uh, I mentioned this little property of, you know, converting the difference frequency uh, can come back to bite us in, in the form of something called an image. So let's say the input to this mixer is coming from an antenna. And the antenna is picking up signals all across the frequency band, right? So it could be the signal that you, you actually want to hear, but there could be a signal that's spaced just appropriately far enough away on the other side of the LO, okay, so uh, that we would call an image frequency. When we take the, differ the difference between F image and FLO, guess what? That can land right on top of the product that we want, okay? So that's, that's called, you know, basically converting an image down. So we're going to essentially convert two frequencies on either side of the local oscillator into our desired frequency bin, all right? Um, so this is uh, typically why on the front end of a receiver you've got a low-pass filter, because what you want to do is filter away the signal that would normally get converted into the image, so it never sees the front end of the mixer, okay? So, uh, and this is part of the reason why, you know, topic for a next level class of why we do things like double conversion or triple conversion receivers is to make it easier to deal with rejecting the image and getting it out, getting keeping it out of our signal processing. But this property of creating some indifference frequencies is really the key uh, to operating to, to what happens in a superheterodyne receiver. Uh, is that we're just doing this frequency conversion? It's like, all right, why do I want to do that? Well, uh, if we take a look at the basic architecture of a superhet receiver, it becomes a bit clearer. Okay. So here's our basic front-end architecture of a superhet receiver. We've got our antenna going into some front-end circuitry, and that could contain an LNA, like a preamp, to do some amplification of low-level signals. It might include a front-end attenuator or both of those that you could switch in or out as you need them to kind of process the signal before it gets to the mixer. It may in include some front-end limiting to protect the mixer from high input signals. It could potentially include some filtering for things like image rejection and things like that. It also may have a variable gain amplifier that is part of the AGC circuit. So all of these things could be right at the front end uh, processing the raw RF as it comes in from the antenna. Then we get in kind of to the superhead stage. We're passing all of those frequencies that are coming into the antenna right into the input of the mixer. Uh, the mixer is then has got a local oscillator and when you're, when you're tuning the VFO on your radio and dialing up and down, you're not tuning a filter. You're tuning the frequency of this local oscillator. And by tuning the frequency of the local oscillator, you're basically sliding around all of the signals that are, gonna, that are going to land in the IF. So after the mixer, we have this thing called the IF filter. Okay. And the IF filter is typically a bandpass filter on many receivers that's got an adjustable bandwidth. Uh, in, the, in the kind of the simplest sense, so when you dial in like a CW filter that's a narrow filter or a single sideband filter that's a wider filter, this is essentially where it is. 
Oftentimes it might be down into a, a second or third conversion stage, but conceptually this is where this is. So the idea here is that we've got a filter and an amplifier that only have to be set up and optimized to operate at one frequency. And that one frequency is what's called the intermediate frequency or the IF. In many like uh, shortwave radios, like single conversion radios, like the old realistic PX160 or something like that, this IF is typically at 455 kilohertz. So this filter is a bandpass filter centered at 455 kilohertz. So its skirts can be optimized and the amplifier can be designed just to work perfectly well at 455 kilohertz. So the whole idea is that we're using the local oscillator to convert the frequency of interest of the massive amount of frequencies coming into the front end to convert that one frequency that we want to make it land inside the 455 kilohertz IF. And then we can amplify it and then from there that signal goes off to the demodulation stages, whether it's just an amplitude detector or maybe a product detector for, or a BFO for listening to single sideband or, uh, or a CW, or maybe a, an FM ratio detector for FM or something like that. But the whole idea is that all of the critical processing in terms of filtering to get good selectivity and things like that only has to be set up and run at one frequency and we're using the mixer stage to put the signal of interest into that frequency bin. So we can look at that graphically and say, okay, I've got, let's say I've got a, a band of frequencies here. Again, this is a, a frequency band here. Uh, and maybe I've got, I'm showing three stations here, right? One here, one here, and one here. That's all coming into the receiver front end. And then we've got our local oscillator that we can tune around back and forth. Okay, and remember we're going to, in most cases, we're looking at the difference frequency. So we'll take the difference frequency, whatever's coming in here, or, or effectively all of this. Okay, so we take the FLO minus all of this. So that whole frequency spectrum gets converted down, and these signals can effectively be slid back and forth in frequency by simply changing the local oscillator frequency. So as we tune the local oscillator up, we can slide all these things up. We tune the local oscillator down, we slide all these things down. And the whole idea is we're sliding these signals back and forth until the one that we were interested in falls right inside the IF filter. So it's going to let that signal pass through, and then the signals that are outside the bandpass of that IF filter get blocked. So at the end of the at the IF output, we're only selecting that one particular signal. So by simply again tuning the local oscillator up and down, we can slide this whole spectrum of signals. So we put the signal of interest right in that filter and then send that off uh, to go be uh, demodulated and analyzed or whatever it is that you're doing. And of course, the same process works in reverse. And this is uh, superhead stages are typically used in transmitters as well. Uh, but uh, this is essentially what uh, that, that process is. Um, now, in most cases, uh, most of our ham radio transceivers are typically gonna be double or even triple conversion devices not uh, single conversion like I've described here. And all that means is that we're gonna have a couple of stages of this. We're gonna have you know, a mixer, local oscillator, and, an, and some IF filtering at one frequency, and that might be followed up by another mixer to convert down into a different IF. And there's reasons for doing that. Because uh, generally the higher the IF frequency that you have, the easier it is to deal with things like these images. Right, because they'll be further and further away and easier to filter out. 
okay? But it also makes it harder to make a very selective filter to reject close-in adjacent signals. That's easier to do at lower IF frequencies. So oftentimes a, a real superhead is gonna have at least maybe a double conversion. So that first IF is gonna be a wide IF to give you good image rejection because the images will be further spaced away from uh, the signals of interest. And then mixing down into a lower IF frequencies where it's easier to make real steep, narrow filters to get good selectivity from station to station. So that's kind of the fundamentals of what uh, you know, an IF or excuse me, a superhet receiver is. I'm just going to take a quick look in the chat here to see if there was anything that any questions that popped up here, but I don't uh, don't know if I see anything here. Oh, I do see one from Brett here. I'm working backwards here. So Brett is asking um, if I could explain what the IF shift knob on most rigs does and where do roofing filters fit. Great questions. Okay. So uh, if we scoot up here. Typically, when you have an IF shift, uh, it's, it's typically going to happen inside like a double conversion receiver. And the idea is, is that we're not really adjusting, again, the, the IF filter position, but that's how it's acting. It's, we're, it, the IF shift is it's going to behave as if we're moving the IF filter back and forth so we can reject one side or the other. But the reality is, is that uh, we're actually um, adjusting the local oscillators on previous stages to slide the signal around um, so that maybe in one filter it gets it cuts one side the other filter cuts the other side so by making fine adjustments to the various local oscillators we can convert the signal of interest into one side or the other of the IF filter and then do frequency correction on the next stage to kind of restore back you know to essentially zero beat the signal again but take advantage of, of some of the, the skirts of the filter to reject something that's very close. Um, roofing filters, again, or you'll typically find in multi-conversion receivers, like a double or triple conversion stage. And oftentimes in a triple conversion stage, that roofing filter is typically something that's going to be right after the first mixer. Because uh, the first mixer is converting basically everything down into usually a fairly high IF and a roofing filter can be used there to do some pre-selection to reject you know, nearby strong signals so that they don't hit the next stage and cause any overload. But that's typically after the, 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 the very first stage of mixing and conversion inside a receiver. So in a sense, the roofing filter term could be applied to a, broad, a filter that's even before the first mixer, but I think in most instances of our ham radio transceivers it's after the uh, the first conversion stage so let's see if there's any other questions here i don't think i see any yeah uh, there was one that started into a discussion now and that's uh, what was the reason the 455 kilohertz was chosen as the if uh it's a good question i think it really had to do with broadcast am because uh, if you look at the broadcast am band you know in the U.S. here, 540 kilohertz to about 1.8 uh, megahertz. Um, the 455 kilohertz is just below that band. Okay, so you would then you could do essentially a high side conversion, have your LO sitting just on the high side of the um, uh, AM broadcast band, 
and so that, that so any LO leakage would not interfere with the AM broadcast, and then the um, the IF would be at 455 kilohertz, which is below the AM broadcast band, or just below it. I think that's probably the root of some of it, but there, I'm sure there are people out there that know better than me. But that logically, that kind of tells me that's at least a piece of why that happened. <laughs> Again, I'm sure somebody knows better than me. And it looks like, you know, it looks like N7XGR says that some manufacturers use 450 or 460 to get around the RCA patent. Okay, so I guess RCA. So there may have been a patent involved that may force the standard. Yep, yeah, and that could very well be. I mean, there's... There's a couple of, um, you know, a couple of uh, kind of standard IFs, right? Um, typically, that the lowest frequency IF uh, in many receivers is 455. In some receivers, like like my old Trake 2B, that that final IF is like a, like a 50 kilohertz. Okay, um, but then also like in, in in many radios, especially in uh, even broadcast FM radios, there's an inter there's a double conversion, and the intermediate stage is typically a a 10.8 megahertz IF. Yeah, I was going to say there's a typically a 10 to 11 megahertz IF for a lot of rigs. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, there's there's generally some good good reasons to do a conversion into a very high, a high frequency IF to start with because it, it really helps the job with image rejection and things like that. Most test equipment, like spectrum analyzers and things like that, do that. But you know, each time you add a conversion stage, you also potentially add noise and and other things like that. So there's reason not to go too far with it. <laughs> okay, and of course, all these rules are getting broken. You know, in the days now of you know things like software-defined radios, where you, you you sample and get to bits as quickly as possible and do everything else in digital digital signal processing. Right. So. Uh, you might actually you may have one one mixture that converts down into some some IF and you just convert there right to digital and everything else is just done in software or firmware. So, um, but uh, you know, it's the the rules are kind of being rewritten a little bit with a lot of the software defined type work. Yeah, they're basically turning it into a transverter rather than a selective receiver. Just convert the whole band and slice out what you want. Yeah, yeah. You know, over the years, you know, back in the olden days, we used a lot of uh, converters to do to get on the bands we wanted to get on. Um, it was it was common if you wanted to get on six meters. You actually, if you had a ten meter receiver, you just you know mix a couple signals. Just same uh, same thing yeah. as what you're talking about there, uh, Alan. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I've even heard, I mean, you've, you've also probably did the same trick that I did as a kid if you want to decode some uh, or to, to listen to and demodulate uh, some single sideband signals and all you had was a couple of AM receivers. Uh, you oftentimes could hold one next to the other and tune it around, turn one of them around a little bit. And you had enough LO leakage from one of them to essentially inject the carrier into the other uh, to so that you could convert the single sideband you signals. You know, yeah, I mean... It's been used many ways, I guess, since the beginning of time. You know, my first contact, my first uh, novice contact was made up in my little town. I didn't even know there was another ham in town. I used a 9-transistor. My receiver was a 9-transistor AM shortwave. Mm -hmm. had a pull-up antenna on it, you know, and uh, AM only. And I think the uh, the Troy band went from uh, something like two up to 
I don't know, maybe 30, maybe not that much. But the 80-meter band was about a quarter of an inch long. Yeah, yeah. And the novice band, of course, was about the, the size of the slice of the, the needle that's across the band here, you know. Right. And it was AM. It was AM. And I had a signal generator, and I beaded that signal generator against that, that uh, transistor AM radio, and I could hear the CW. Yep. And uh, that was my very first contact. It shook me up so bad. I don't even remember what the guy said. I, I, I copied very little. But uh, we uh, we used uh, a signal generator and beat it out against an old uh, transistor radio. And after that, I knew I got to get me a better receiver. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Uh, great stuff there. Uh, I, I put your picture back on there. Uh, I found out on... On Zoom here, I'm able to go from your presentation to your picture, so I brought you back up here. Very good. Well, all right. Yeah, um, I, uh, I'm going to uh, probably at some point, I've got the luxury, obviously, working for Tektronix. I've got uh, one of the oscilloscopes I have here is an eight-channel scope that has got a, a digital down converter behind every channel. So I can essentially have a spectrum analyzer on every channel. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to yank out, uh, yank my DX160 off the shelf here, bring it down there, and put a probe on the RF input, put a probe at the mixer input, put a probe on the LO, put a probe on the wow. out mixer output, and a probe at the output of the IF filter, and show how everything moves around when you're tuning it around. So That's cool. Uh, look, looking forward to playing with that. Maybe you can uh, show that to us one night once you get it all set up and figure yeah, it out. I'll, yeah, I'll probably make a video of that, and that'll yeah. be on the chat. We'll show it here as well. Yeah, okay. that'd be cool. Well, very good. All right. Well, let's uh, stand by the second. We'll be right back uh, with everybody. And uh, first, we'll do this. Contest remote. ICOM has the perfect base station ready for action. The IC9700, the IC7610, and the IC7300 transceivers are top of the line and are the first choice for contesters across the globe. Robust base stations like these cut through pileups, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Stay connected. Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICON. Heard it, worked it, logged it. Create your own band openings with the 9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF VHF weak signal world. It's loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. It has faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. Check out the large touchscreen, the spectrum scope waterfall, smooth satellite operation with 99 channels, and it has full duplex operation in satellite mode. The IC7610 is the SDR that every ham wants. This is a high performance SDR, and it can pick out the faintest signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The 7610 is a direct sampling software defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. It has RF direct sampling and independent dual receivers. The IC7300 changed the way entry-level HF is designed. Top-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. It has RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM radios. 
LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed station, portable and remote. Matching your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. Our focus is on anticipating and meeting our customers' needs and providing them with world-class support as they install and use our products. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable when you sell it, with no paperwork required. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. Yeah, with the new job. All right. Turned into my bedtime. We're back, guys, and uh, that was a great segment that uh, we just had on Super Hits. Looking forward to uh, your next uh, segment here. Um, let me make this announcement again really quick. First of all, do we have anybody new tonight that's tuned in to the show? Uh, uh, Tell us in the chat room if you're new and, and first time here. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, again, I want to welcome everybody out there on uh, International Shortwave on WBCQ. Send us an email to tom at w5kub.com and uh, let us know where you are. Love to hear from you. Hit the subscribe button. Please hit the subscribe button uh, there on our, our video. You know, uh we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about a tower that uh, Memphis has here, and they use it on field day, and I didn't explain it very well, but this tower, you know how you have tower sections, and you see these 10-foot sections of tower stacked up, and when you put the tower up, you need a gen pole and all that. I'm going to show you a tower that's actually built as it goes up. A machine builds the tower as it goes up. And as it comes down, it's taken apart. And it's stored in three three little compartments. you got three sides of the tower. And it takes a little two-foot piece off each of the three sides and stores it. And then when you go up with it, the machine grabs these pieces. It puts the tower together. It pushes it up. It grabs a couple more pieces, puts it together, it pushes the tower up. So I want you to see this, and uh, this is going to be an interesting, I, I'm not sure how good the video turned out, but this is the one I was able to find today. And if you watch closely and, and, and you heard how I describe it, you might be able to, to see there. So let me uh, see if I can get this uh, running here. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that was the weekend that we had the deluge yeah. over field day. Yeah, by uh, Homeland Security. Uh, here in Memphis. Let's go over here and take a look at it real quick. This is a very interesting tower. I, uh, I'll, they're not operating right now, but I think I, I have some video that maybe shows you how it operates. But this tower actually folds up and rolls up. And if you look right here closely, do you see the little square right there? Those are tower sections. If you look over there, there's the, the other side of the tower sections. All right, they're going to take it up. Let's see what happens. All right, coming down. Well, let me see what's going on here. 
Oh man, is that actually folding up the tower right there? Three baler segments, and this thing will go 80 foot in height. We're coming down now. Tower will support 2,000 pounds on the top, and was originally designed to be an air drone launch platform for the military. I've never seen a tower fold up like this. It's like it's folding up in about two foot squares. Yeah. We're actually running at 60 feet today, so we have to guide it. Uh, this is amazing. I've never seen a tower fold up like that. Like putting it into a box. Reels of coax that uh, will feed the antenna, or feed the t antennas on top of the tower. You can see them. I can't see the sun's lines, but uh, you just connect, uh, you connect your radio right to the end of the coax there. And they, I think they have 100 feet on those reels. We've got some radios in that box right there. Here's another section uh, where it pulls up the tower. Let's see if you can see it a little bit better. That's actually sides of the tower right there. You can see on the other side over there how it pulls up. It disassembles it. It disassembles it and it puts it into uh, a little square box and the whole tower comes down. That's kind of cool. All right, well, you got to see it. Uh, it's hard to visualize unless you really watch this thing, but it'll go up 80 feet in the air. It'll come down to nothing, and uh, it just disassembles it, and it stacks uh, each of the three sides. It just kind of stacks them in little piles there, and then as it goes up, it, it picks you know, the three sides, puts them together, and it goes up, and then it picks the three sides, and it goes up. So... It's kind of kind of neat. Uh, I'll try to get maybe next time I get out here, I'll uh, try to get us a better video of that and let uh, let you guys maybe we'll try to demo it a little bit more and let, camera, you, let you get see the it. camera like inside it there while it's unrolling. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. If we get the camera together, it'll be cool. I, that might be a little dangerous sticking the camera in the middle there though. I don't know how this thing works, man. But we'll try to get some we'll try to get some better pictures here of it uh, pretty soon. Yeah, take take one of those cameras that you had up in the yeah. balloon. Yeah, put in a there. GoPro in the middle. They go walk away. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I could probably set one in here before he turns it on for sure, and we could that that would that would probably be a very cool uh, a cool one here. Let's see what the chat room has to say about that. How they latch in place, man? I have no idea. Uh, my understanding is uh, that was about 60 feet high. At 60 feet, they don't even have to guy it. I think when they go 80 feet, they uh, they say they guy it. Uh, I'm going to have to be Googling that one later. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like the spools of coax, so it automatically fed yeah. the coax, too. That was Spools of coax and spools of tower. Yeah, spools yeah. of tower there. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, uh, really interesting there, so. We'll, uh, well, we'll try to get more information on that. That was actually built for Homeland Security. And I, I don't think he was, I think on the video he may have said what it was for. Uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't, platform. what was it for? A drone launching platform. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, it must be a big drone. I don't know. But, um, of course, uh, you know, various uh, different cities get this equipment from the government and, uh 
uh, Memphis was lucky to have gotten that, uh, that, I don't know what to call it, tower that well, grows. At some point, they're going to be surplus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll That's take a, one. All right, all right. All right. So, um, hey, we'll open the phone lines in just a few minutes, uh, everybody, and we'll, we'll get some, we'll get some uh, participation uh, from everybody here. Um, you may, if you've been following the Facebook group, um, we are, are about ready to uh, launch W5KUB 100. That's the APRS call, uh, W5KUB 100. And uh, we think we can break the glass barrier uh, with that. Uh, there's no balloon out there today that hams can fly in a float like, like we float them around the world. Uh, there's nobody that there's no balloon out there available. Actually, uh, you can't use a weather balloon. For, you cannot use a weather balloon for this purpose, and um, you're limited to what's on the market out there. So anyway, we've been looking for about a year to try to find uh, something that will fly. There, there, there's our person right there. I mentioned. Uh, so anyway, um, we uh, wanted to see if we could break that 44, 40,000 foot, um, you know, ceiling. And uh, we just built this one up. Uh, we, we got some new material. And uh, we think with the calculations that we did, it should fly at, at above 50,000. So I think uh, we're going to be able to do it. And uh, this is kind of what it looks like. That was it in the uh, shop there as we were doing some pressure testing with it uh, right there. So uh, I've got a little video here, too, where we, we actually built that. Uh, I might put that on in a minute. You know, we, we found this material uh, in a sleeping bag. There's actually a, a emergency sleeping bag is where we found the, the, the material. Now... Plastics and poly and none of that stuff will, will hold the pressure up there. This mylar will do it. Uh, all the uh, balloons that uh, hams have been able to fly are much smaller than the SBS balloon. Or you can pay about 170 bucks for the SBS balloon. But this sleeping bag is almost the identical size of an SBS balloon. And it comes in at about 19 grams lighter. And our pressure testing showed it will hold the pressure, and it, it will fly at 45,000 feet. So now we have a, I think we have a, we have an option here where we can take a dollar and a half sleeping bag and fly it in place of a $170 SBS balloon. Uh, I've got a Any video. idea about the, uh, the UV resistance of that material? Well, you know. It, the material is supposed to be UV resistant, but who knows how much? Mm -hmm. um, it it uh, is silver, it's reflective. Um, hey, it'll make a nice radar target for sure. Yeah, right. you know? <laughs> we don't we won't have to put a radar target on this thing, uh, you know. So um, I've got a I I, I want to show you uh, what we found out on the. Um, me find it sleeping bag right here this is uh we took the sleeping bag up to um to to destruction 
Let me get the sleeping bag in here. We took the sleeping bag up to destruction. Now, we need about seven. This is a manometer. I've explained it before, but you measure pressure in inches of water. And whatever inch of water you see there, you have to double it because you have to take both sides, the side that goes down and the side that goes up and add them, or you just, just uh, double, double it. So we're going to check here the pressure. And I want to show you what this material will do. Uh, when I when I built, whoa, look, you see where we are? We're, we're going to pop this thing right here in just a minute. We're going to pop it. We're up at uh, we're up almost to nine. We're over nine. That's 18 inches of water. Nine and a half will be 19 inches right there. Here we go. It's fixing to explode right here. There it goes. And we just had uh, explosion. I guess you might have heard that. There we go. So it's like uh, we popped it about. So it, we uh, we saw that it um, it that material will withstand 19 inches, about 19 inches of water pressure, or water lift, uh, which is about five. According to the calculations, it's about five times the pressure that the balloon will be at at altitude. And if you guys remember when we built that poly balloon. We were trying to use netting. We had two inch and one inch netting around it to try to hold it together. And the the pressure got so hard and so heavy in that balloon, it was actually popping the nylon, uh, it was popping the nylon netting. So you and and that was at about that was at about three inches of water pressure water lift. Whereas this material here alone went up to nineteen inches, which is Again, very much higher. So, um, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we found did a material. Fail on a seam, or did it fail in the middle of it somewhere? Um. Well, let's look at it right here, and we'll see. Actually, it it, it the sleeping bag it came pre-taped. You know, like a bag you get in, and um, it actually failed. I think down at seam, not quite on the seam. I think what happened, it probably had a failure on the seam. And then it just split. So uh, let, me, let me put it back about on here. 17 inches. About 17. Let's see. I yeah. think this is... Okay, here we go. Mike, it basically split right along the, um, the splice. You can see the... Uh, you can see the splice here down one side. It looks like a giant jiffy pop. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. So, so this tells me. So what we found out there, actually, um, the material, the, the mylar material will actually handle a lot of pressure where poly and other things, they just stretch. We can never find anything that would quit stretching. This will not stretch. And uh, when, you, when we built that out of the poly one, if you remember that balloon, when we built one, it was almost 20 feet long, and it was like 12 feet tall. And, and what happened was it just kept stretching. It never stopped stretching. And it'll get to a point where it's just stretching so much, it gets so thin, it, it will break. So um, this material will not stretch. The, the tape we're using is some special poly tape that once it goes on there, it will not come off. 
And uh, I've got another quick uh, video here. I'm going to show you. Uh, we we built the uh, we, we built the W5 KUB100 last night, and I'm pressure testing it today. And uh, let me uh, let me pull it up, and I'll show you kind of what we how we did it. Now, hey, the sleeping bag was already taped with that brown tape down the two edges and across the foot. So, uh, and that tape held pretty good, actually. We went up to about 19 inches of water. Uh, and that tape was only about one inch wide. What we put on the seams on the one we built last night is three inch wide. And we also put adhesive inside. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Um, I'll try to fast forward here, but uh, a lot of people are interested and have been asking questions about this. The sleeping bag is uh, 82 inches, 82 inches in circumference uh, by, uh, I'm sorry, it's 72 inches in circumference, uh, and it is 84 inches long. That'll make a pretty decent sized balloon. In fact, that's pretty close to the SPS balloon. Uh, this weighs 80 grams. The SPS balloon weighs 90 grams, uh, 109 grams. So, so the uh, the sleeping bag is very close to the size of the SBS, so it's going to fly about the same height. Uh, next, I'm going to show you right here is uh, I I was able to purchase some sleeping blankets, emergency blankets, which were much larger. They're 144 inches uh, wide, which gives us about four times the capacity of a uh, SBS balloon. Uh, so we're, I'm just showing you the difference here right now. This is much lighter. Uh, pressure testing has shown that this can stand tremendous pressure. And uh, I'm just going to fast uh, forward a little. I some uh, model material. Here I, I ordered this new material here. This, this is model material. And it is 72 inches one direction, but it's 142 inches in the other direction. So it's quite a bit larger than what this sleeping bag will give us. Now, to go high, you're going to have a lot of volume. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to, we're going to start sealing this together to make a balloon out of it. This is an emergency blanket. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take some special poly tape. I'm going with some extra wide. We're going to bring two seams together. We're going to, we're going to take the widest distance, 142 inches, make that a circumference of our balloon. So we're going to bring that 142 inches around like this, and we're going to tape it down the seam. Uh, once this tape goes on there, you can't pull it apart. It's just really, really strong. Um, in addition to taping it, what we're going to do, we're going to overlap this about an inch, and we're going to tape the seam all the way down, and then we are going to turn it inside out. And where we've made that seam, we're going to overlap it about an inch. We'll take it on one side, but overlap it about an inch. 
If you want to take some 3M naughty, it's very super adhesive. And we're going to raise that little flap up and we're going to put adhesive all the way down that edge. We'll have a little flap. We'll have an inch and a half flap back here. Very thin. We're going to try to turn this inside out now. I'll see. Go uh, down this splice. Thin. You can actually see through it. When you hold it up to the light, you can actually see, uh, see, <laughs> see people through it. Hanging over a little bit on both sides. What we're going to do, we're going to overlap it. We're going to overlap it about an inch and a half. We'll have an inch and a half flap back here. We're going to turn it inside out. What that's going to give us, we turn it inside out. We're going to have a flap like this. All right, so what we're doing there is I'm showing you how we're, we're we're trying to get a airtight seal and something that holds. There's tremendous pressure to pull this thing apart, and uh, by the, the tape alone would hold it, but we just we're going redundant with everything. So we're we're adding the adhesive on the back side, the tape on the front side, and that's uh, that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, I'll fast, go go ahead. Do you think, could you just tape both sides? Would that be lighter? Well, you, no, the, the, the three inch tape adds two grams. No, the three inch tape adds three grams per foot. Oh, okay. So that would be six grams per foot. Yeah. Now, the, the adhesive adds about uh, 0.2 grams per foot. It's, it's, it's a lot lighter, and uh, it, it sticks too, man. So, um, so uh, in our testing, and I've got several sheets together here, and we've been testing materials. You can't pull either one of them apart. Uh, the 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 uh, the adhesive or the tape either is actually as strong or stronger than the actual mylar itself. So, uh, and it gets a good bond. So let me just fast forward through this a little bit further here. We're doing this for, for just safety. Oh, let's see. I, here's a. And mylar material. Let's see. There we go. It is as strong as a single piece of mylar material. You cannot, you cannot even pull it apart. So we probably didn't need the tape, but uh, we're doing this for, for just safety. Uh, I don't want our seams going bad now. Per foot. So again, six pounds. Let me get a little out of this one. Okay, here we go. So far looking good. Yep. I think I've got a good covering. I'm going to check it out, cameraman, and uh, make sure I'm going to put a saw all the way up. I think we're, uh, we've got it good there. So we're going to let this get sticky. We're going to probably give this about uh, maybe 45 seconds or one minute. And then we're going to fold this over, and it is going to stick. It is going to stick, and it's not going to come apart. Get it. 
to seal the end and we have corners here that are possible so sealed across there with the adhesive we're going to take again about an inch and a half and we're going to roll this top over and then we're going to adhesive the the key points here um, we're going to do the best we can here we down now and hope we get it all right so i think we've got a very good that's going to be uh ends and um, also, uh, it, this is very delicate. It, it wrinkles very easily. And um, when we start folding this over and sticking it, um, man, once it touches, you're not going to pull it apart. So that's going to be, uh, we're going to do the best we can here. All right. Okay, we've, uh, we've filled this up, uh, turned this over. I've got adhesive on the two sides here. I think we've got a very good seal there. Now, the thing is, when you put two pieces of uh, uh, material together like this, and you put a seam down it, when, when you get pressure, it has a tendency to peel. It'll, it'll peel like this. If you, do a, if you do a butt splice like this, with tape down it, it's real strong. But this has some weakness to it because the material's like this, and it fills up with, with um, gas like this. Gonna start peeling like this and it will peel. So we're gonna reinforce this. What we're gonna do, we're gonna fold the corners over. Just in case there's a little leak in the corner there, we're gonna fold the corner over, glue it down, and then after we get the corners uh, there, we're gonna take this top one more time and we're gonna fold it over about an inch and we're gonna glue it down. And then we're gonna take our three inch tape and we're gonna seal that down. So our next step is gonna be to All right, so um, that's kind of just a, a quick overview of how we're sealing this thing up. And uh, once it's sealed up, we uh, took it out and, uh, of course, we want to test it for leaks. If we have any leaks at all, the, the hydrogen is going to leak out and it's going to come down. We don't want that to happen. We're putting a lot of effort and time into this, and a lot of redundancy and everything. So uh, we're really testing for leaks. Now, I've, I've got it out in the shop, and we uh, I'm not going to take this up to 19 inches of water like I did the other material and explode it. Uh, we know that um, uh, the pressure at altitude is going to be about, I don't know, four, five, six inches of water. We know the material can withstand 19 inches of water lift, so uh, I'm just pressurizing it to get it up to the uh, you know six inches or so uh, where it'll be pressurized as it's flying, and that's mainly to check for leaks. 
None of our seams had any leaks at all that I could tell. I mean, it, it, it just solid. Uh, also, the, the, the other parts, all the material seemed solid. I did have a little problem. of I kept having a leak at the very bottom where I have the filler hose put in. Uh, and um, let's see if we can see something here now. Uh, at the bottom, what I did, I put a filler hose in. And I, I crinkled the, uh, the balloon around that filler hose. I wrapped it with a piece of rubber from like a rubber tire. I wrapped it. And then I put a hose clamp on it and tightened it down really tight to try to get a good seam right there. And um, uh, I kept losing a little pressure. And I kept noticing that, you know, I've, I've got a leak somewhere. And I kept losing some pressure. And I finally, I, I took some soap and water and put it right there where, I, where the hose goes in, and uh, I was seeing bubbles there. So I feel very confident that my leak is right there where I've got the hose coming in. Now, again, that was just to test it for leaks and to make sure the integrity of the balloon and it all stays together. So once I feel confident that it's not leaking anywhere else, uh, and it's under pressure right now, once I feel it's co confident it's not really going to leak out, then we'll pull that tube out, we'll flatten it down, we'll get all the air out. And then on launch day, we'll bring our hydrogen in, and we're going to, uh, by the calculations here, the, the, the cubic feet we've got of the uh, balloon and the, the weights of the material and everything, uh, you can actually calculate how much lift to put in it and at what altitude it will fly. It appears that this is. It appears that uh, the indications are showing this is going to fly about 55, 56,000 feet. That's where we want to be. I wanted. I've, I've been wanting to for over a year now. Fly at 55,000 feet. Nobody else is doing it. And we're gonna. If we can make this work, I'd like to send this thing around the world, and then we'll be successful. So uh, even if we fly at 50,000. That's considerably higher than what, what we've been able to fly with the uh, SBS balloons. So, um, so we'll, we'll pull the hose out. We'll get all the air out. Launch day, we'll come in there, and we will put uh, uh, our tracker weight. It's going to be about 20 grams. Uh, it looks like to me if we use 17.2 uh, grams of lift, so that would be 37.2 grams of, of total lift. So... What we'll do, we'll hook that to the scale, and we'll put hydrogen in to where it's lifting 37.2 grams. And when it lifts 32.7 grams, we cut the hydrogen off. We will then, that little hole where we put the hydrogen in, we're going to roll that up, crinkle it up, tape it up, seal it up somehow. That's going to be our only point that we have to close up. And then we're going to tie our 20-gram tracker on it. And we're going to take it out there and lock it. And we'll have 17, 17 grams of lift on it, and it ought to go up. Now, it's going to be uh, exciting. It's going to be fun. But uh, we're, going to, we're going to see how it goes. All right, Alan, what did we do wrong? I think it's all good. I mean, I was just wondering if you could make, uh, you know, if you think about the Mylar balloons that you get at the party store where it comes down to a little bit of a nipple where they fill it. 
Yep. That might be something easier to seal, so I guess that's what you're probably going to do. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've got some of those three-foot mylars, uh, the silver mylars. It's like, in fact, that's what we flew at uh, the East Tennessee Ham Fest last week. And a 36-inch balloon isn't going to get you much altitude, and particularly with uh, we used helium. Uh, we only uh, we only attained 18,400 feet of altitude with it, and it went up into Canada somewhere that Saturday or Sunday. It made it past, uh, it went over your house, and it went on up into Canada. Did you ever pick it up after that? No, I think we lost it. It, it was starting to be storms up there, and uh, at 18,000 feet, that's, uh, that's a dangerous place to be uh, when you're having storms there. See, the nice okay. thing about trying to get up into 50s, 55,000, you got a much better chance of going over the top of those storms. So um, that's that's the main reason we're trying to do this. Now, if you get too high, if we get sixty-five thousand or something, the wind is not the wind's only moving about four knots up there, just a few miles an hour, and it it, it could take it. I mean, if it goes around the world, it might take it four months to go around the world. So, you know, the jet streams are down a little bit lower. They're down in the the forties, mm -hmm. a little bit in the fifty. You know, high 30s, you know, in that area there. So that's kind of what we've got going there. Um, I'm going to yeah. have to run. I'm going to go, uh, go walk the dog. Okay. Good to see you tonight. Hopefully you enjoyed the segment, and uh, we should see you next week. Well, very good. We will see you uh, next week. All right. That's All right. good. All right. Goodbye. Um, and, have you worked out the calculations on absolute max height you can give out of this? Well, Glenn, um yeah, there's a lot of calculations. A lot. I don't know if you can see some of the. Th I, the you probably oh, yeah. you probably can't see much of this where I've been scribbling on paper. Whoop, wrong one. Uh, you probably can't see much here, but I have ran so many numbers with the volumes and weights and and and, air, and lift. I mean, um, you, you know, you change the free lift, that changes the internal pressure because when this thing. The way a, the way a, one of our Pico balloons work is when they reach super pressure, that's where they float. So in other words, this this bag is going to be almost empty as it got, starts going up, and as it goes up higher and higher, the hydrogen gas will expand, and at a certain point, that gas is going to expand so much that that balloon is tight. It is stretched out. It won't stretch anymore. Now. You got two options there. It can burst, and, and that's where it's going to float. It won't go any higher. Once that gas stretches out and it can't stretch out anymore, that balloon will not go any higher. So you got two options at that point. It it pops and comes down, or it floats at that specific that specific altitude. And uh, so that's why we had to have this stronger material. Now. The other thing, if you look at, let me look at the shape of this thing. Oh, let's see. Uh, you can see this is not a round spear. This is not anything. Uh, you know, we 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 take a we take a rough estimate. Of, well, not an estimate. We take measurements of the bag. It's it's so many inches in circumference and it's so many inches tall. That supposedly makes a cylinder, and you can calculate the the volume. But you can see it doesn't blow up like a cylinder. It kind of blows up like a, a pillow, kind of flat. So uh, it's really difficult to know exactly how many cubic feet of volume we have there. 
so we've trimmed off some here, uh, worst case, and we've got best case, worst case, and um, we think we think that is going to give us uh, 96,240 cubic inches of volume, and if you convert that to me- cubic meters, that's a uh, 1.577 cubic meters. Now, an SBS balloon is 0.5 cubic meters. This is now 1.5 cubic meters. Uh, I took some other measurements after it was blown up today, and uh, uh, let's say it only turns out to be 1.4 cubic meters. Uh, at 1.4 cubic meters, um, and at a reasonable lift in here, uh, I'm seeing 53,800 feet. So um, I think it's going to fly in the 50s. It's just it's kind of an unknown. I think we'll exceed 50 with it. We don't know. We don't know where it's going to be, but I think it's going to be over 50, and that's exactly where where we want to be. So uh, we probably, hopefully, will launch this maybe about next, maybe next Tuesday morning, uh, possibly. Let's see. Uh, we may try to fly the sleeping bag. The problem with the sleeping bag is I think the sleeping bag is going to fly 44,000, and that's where we fly the SBS balloon, and it's no fun if you can't go higher. So, But we'll probably do it just to prove it, it, it can be done there. Hey, let's uh, let's open the uh, phone lines uh, for people, and uh, let's see if anybody wants to join us tonight. So I'm going to start the phone lines up here. Uh, let's see, where's my ticker? The phone lines, the new phone lines. There we go. All right. So uh, if you're out there, give us a call. You dial the uh, 716-427-1083, and then you enter the code, 407051, pound sign, and you'll be on the show with us. We'd love to hear from you. You know what? Let's also do this, uh, Glenn. Uh, mm, I guess I can. Have you, have, can you easily sit, put the link in the chat room? Um, I, can, I think so. If you if you can't do it, I can pull up uh, my mail and I can post it. We'll also post a we'll also post a link here. We here. Go. I you got, got it. it. Okay. All right. So Glenn's going to post the link here in the chat room, and this will get you on Zoom, and you can join us on Zoom here. Figure out which which of these thirty million windows. Yeah. Let's see. There we go. All right. There's a links guy. Hey, everybody, just click on that link, and you can join our show there and, and come right on the show with us. We'd love to have you tonight. And uh, uh, we'll talk about anything you want to about ham radio. And it doesn't have to be about balloons. You know, we've got one guy in our uh, chat room here. Every time we say the word balloon, he, he leaves us, which is okay. Not everybody wants to hear about balloons, you know. But... We have a lot of people that do want to hear about it, and uh, this is Ham Radio, and we're going to try. We're going to try to do something in Ham Radio that nobody's done before. All right, come on, guys. Let's see. Up. Oh, I think we got a. We got Carlos here. 
Uh, let's see, we got Carlos there. Let me get the phone going. Trying to get the phone going. Host meeting. Hello, Carlos. How you doing? Fine. Thank you. Hello. Good to have you on here tonight. Glad to be able to to connect tonight. Yeah. I was on a on a trip, uh, on a business trip last uh, week. Yeah. On uh, I went to the countryside uh, to do some uh, some a job on the countryside. Uh huh. And I I at last at the last moment I decided to take a an HF. Uh, uh, transceiver yeah uh, so 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 that i could test uh, the re receiving on 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 the countryside uh -huh. with no with very little noise right how, how did it turn out you are the only yeah. participant in the conference let me turn it down i'm the only participant in the yeah. conference yeah <laughs> yeah so how did your uh, uh, interference oh, test? Uh, very interesting. I didn't have much time to to play around, but uh, and I couldn't deploy. I wanted to hang a a a, a long uh, dipole, but I I couldn't manage to do it because I didn't have the the right tools for the job. But managed to hang a a very small dipole like. Uh, a, Three, one, three, five, five feet per side, maybe five, six. No, five feet per side. A very small one, and with a a very um, a very simple tuner that I had lying around. I could barely tune it to forty meter band, mm -hmm. and managed to make a couple of contacts uh, with south of Chile and. And there, so so it was a really, really good uh, experience there. Uh, to be better prepared for for another trip in the yeah. future. Yeah. So, do you still have all that interference at home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yes, it's uh, difficult to to come about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading the chat room here. Just checking the chat room out. Didn't have time to check it there. Uh, man, if I did that in my kitchen, my wife would have my head. Uh, my my Kathy helped me uh, to do that. Uh, she's very supportive of the hobby here. She tells yeah, me. What she, he doesn't mention is that it cost him a complete kitchen remodeling. Last more, uh, more about half the house remodeling, not just the kitchen, but. You know, uh, hey, every day she tells me I need to go out and buy a new ham radio every day. Go buy you a new ham radio. Well, yeah, that's excuse. I, <laughs> so I can't find anything I want. I have been looking. I have been looking for months now to find some new radio or something. I can't find anything I want. <laughs> I, I can help. Yeah, okay. I've got several on my list. All right. Larry asked, uh, "Will the balloon work as a half? Oh, will it work as half of the dipole? Um, not really. You know, uh, the uh, half the twenty meter dipole is 
uh, 17 feet, and uh, this balloon is going to be about six feet tall. So, you know, uh, you know, it might work on uh, maybe 10 meters or something. I'm not sure how to fasten the wire to the balloon though, uh, without damaging the balloon. It's very thin, very thin. Is it conductive? Well, I don't know. I I, I don't think it is. It is silver. I think it would be radar reflective. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have to be silver color for it to be radar yeah, reflective. Would, yeah, that's true. That's true. I would think that the balloon is conductive. You know, so you can just wrap wrap the coils around it a little bit or something. You know, I don't know. You know what? We're going to test that right now. I've got a piece of foil here. I think I've got a piece of foil here. Maybe I don't. Well, all right. We're not going to test that right now. I don't have any. I don't have any foil back here. I was going to. I was going to get a multimeter over here and test it. asking about you know radar over North Korea or or uh, China I, I guess it's possible of course you know we do not transmit um, we don't transmit over North Korea it's okay to transmit over China but uh, we don't uh, we don't transmit over North Korea I I don't think they'd spend you know what half a million dollars to shoot it down um, they'd probably just let it go. You know, Glenn, it, it does have the little Arduino-based uh, processor on there. I'm sure you could help me uh, uh, program it, where I could make it when it gets in that when it gets in that uh, geo um, fencing zone. When it gets over Korea, we could drop some pamphlets or something. Yeah, I'm sure we could do that. And yeah. Uh, you know, at the same time, we can test our World War Three preparations. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, uh, let's see. Yeah, Charlie, I can't, that balloon is so big, I can't submerge it in water. It's too big, man. It's like six foot, man. I'd have to find a swimming pool, and then I don't think I'd be able to get it under the water. Yes, yeah, I, was, it, I was thinking yeah. when I when I, I thought I about that. hey, I thought about maybe I can fill it with water and then pour it back out, but that would also be a lot of water, you know. Uh, that, that would that would be several hundred pounds worth. Yeah, of water. that would be a lot of water, and I, I'm not sure. I, I I don't think you would hold that pressure. I, I, look, look, I got. Oh man, I don't know if you can see this. Let's see. Look here, I got, I got adhesive. I got adhesive on me. It's not. Oh man! Ow! 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 Sorry about that. I, I, are you sure that that didn't come out of your nose? <laughs> it, 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 I, 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 I was going to say it looked like that for sure, but uh, no, the stuff that comes out of my nose don't stick that hard, man. You know? Okay. It don't stick like that. Boy, I'm about to pull the skin off of me right there. Uh well, you know, uh, Colin says, if it's in cubic meters, would it be easier to measure in millimeters instead of inches? Not really. All my, uh, 
all my tape measures are in inches, so it wouldn't be easier. Um, I do have a few that might have millimeters. Hey, you know, when I am working on small projects and laying out like a little a chassis or a little front panel, I will use millimeters or centimeters because it's so easy, you know, to find the center, you know, and and to do things. So, you know, there there's um, there's a good purpose for uh, metric. But yeah, I just yeah. take I just take it and I just take it in inches and then um, I just do I just convert to meters. It's, it's there are so many calculators on the internet now that uh, you just put in the inches and it two cubic inches it tells you the cubic meters. It's just that simple. Yeah, Google itself uh, from long time ago it does that. You know, on on the on the search bar of Google you write uh, like for example. 25 uh, cubic feet to uh, cubic uh, centimeter. And you don't need to search for a pool. I got one. Bring it over. Yeah. I'll see. Of course, it's getting uh, a little too cold to swim in right now. Yeah. But, you know, I've got to think there's got to be a way that you can extract the gas out of a full balloon and measure that gas as you're releasing it or well, vacuuming I, it out. I always wondered that. But when you put that gas back in something, you got to make sure it's at the same compressed level well, I somehow. Gonna, I was just going to say, all you want to do is measure what comes out. But but and then again, it may, I think it makes a difference with the gas. If I took if I put hydrogen in and I took the hydrogen out, the hydrogen is going to keep trying to expand. Well, you you want to measure weight or or, or you want to measure volume? Well, um, I can measure way. I can measure I, I, measurements of the balloon and the tracker of the the weight of the balloon, the tracker, the line, the antenna. All that plays in into the formula. Uh, but uh, I do need to know the volume, and uh, uh, we've been pretty close on volumes on all of our other flights. It's, uh, it, this one may be a little different because of the, the, the funny shape that we're going to be in here. Uh, but Here's I, another way. Yeah. Um, you know the lifting capability of the hydrogen. Just measure the lift of the entire thing when it's near bursting. And then you subtract the weight of it, and that will give you the lift, and you should be able to reverse back and figure out how much helium you got in it. So you're telling me to fill it up to bursting, and just right under bursting with hydrogen? How do, yeah. I, how do I know where to stop? Well, 18 inches, 17 and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Pick a point and say this is, a, you know, this is point A and get a measurement, and then... Take it higher and get another measurement, and then take it higher. And if it when it bursts, the last measurement you got is the one you'll go with, and that will tell you the maximum amount of lift, and that will tell you how much hydrogen you had to have gotten into it to get that lift. So you can reverse that formula and figure out how much hydrogen you got in to get. Yeah, that. you know, I've looked into that. This, you know, the little device is made to measure the hydrogen and all that. You know, there it's only like fifteen twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> you can't just measure it with a, I don't know. I don't know. Well, for the lift, you can just measure it with your scale. 
Well, I could measure lift. That's the you, goal. You, not not lift, but you, it's good. No, but it's going to keep wait. expanding. I mean, all right, you know, uh, gee. No, you, you you can wait the 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 container, the hydrogen container, and see that the difference between when you started and when you finish. Yeah. Well, Tom, and, you're always calculating these to have X amount of grams of lift. Yep. Yep. So you've got that formula because that tells you how much hydrogen you must put in. Well, let's reverse that formula and say, how much lift do I have? And then say, oh, okay, I've got 35 grams of lift. How much hydrogen do I need to have gotten to that 35 grams? Then I'll tell you how much hydrogen you got in. Just reverse the formula. Yeah, the, uh, the spreadsheet I have... Well, the spreadsheet, the spreadsheet I have does all those calculations, and you no, put you it. Find the formula. It built to find you the formula and well, reverse it. But I think that formula is built into that spreadsheet because one of the variables, one of the variables on the spreadsheet is cubic feet of the balloon. Cubic feet of the balloon, weight of the balloon, weight of the tracker, uh, the amount of gas you put in. So uh, yeah, okay. Well, it's going to take somebody. It's Better going to than take me. Somebody, I would say get Bill. I guarantee you Bill's got that formula, and he probably has already worked it out. All right. Well, as soon as his foot heals, we'll try to get Bill in here. Let's see. Yeah, they're saying that link I put in didn't work. Uh, the link you... But Carlos got in, yeah. so... Who said it didn't work? Bill. Bill always no, says I'm, it doesn't I'm work. In, so uh, the, the link worked. Yeah, Bill. Bill always says it doesn't work when he tries it. I don't know why. Oh, uh, but everybody else uses the same link and gets in, you know. Yeah. And that that five eighths plus seven thirty seconds. Let's see. That's going to be twenty seven thirty seconds. And they say metric is complicated. Well, actually, um, I'm trying to think where I saw this. Oh, a, a burger chain decided to sell third-pound burgers when McDonald's came out with their quarter-pound burgers, and they wouldn't sell because people thought a third of a pound was less than a quarter of a pound. <laughs> there you are. Mark is saying I can vacuum it out, and I can vacuum it out, put it back in a cylinder, and I can measure the weight change. Yeah, maybe, but no. But you measure the weight change from the con. You have the hydrogen in a container, right? Yeah, but there's a there's a real there's a difference here because whether it's compressed, is it compressed? It it's so many uh, uh, pressure ps pounds per square inch or something, or is it more or more? I mean, it depends on what you compress it to. Yeah, but it's you're gonna, still it's gonna, drawing it from a sealed vessel, so you're not going to have something coming in. It's going to expand, yes, but it's not going to add external mass, gases external, in mass to it. External right. mass. So, so you can measure the, the 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 weight of the gas you put into the balloon. It's, yeah, yeah. It's straightforward. You put a, a, a scale underneath the container. Like those for you have uh, we don't have it here, but you have those uh, for 
for for preparing the mail packages which go up to 200 kilos i think something like that and and you put the the display beside the camera and and you can film until it bursts and there you have the the pressure where it bursted and the weight of the of the gas you put in yeah okay glenn uh next time you're out just come on by and i'll let you measure it <laughs> oh i was just thinking releasing that much hydrogen into an enclosed space um yeah, all of here's, a here's the deal. Here's the deal. Say, here's I the, don't think you have enough protective gear. Here's here's, here's the deal, guys. I'm sure that what we're all saying is doable, but I think it's going to take some precision equipment that now, will, will measure I'm going that. I bet that Bill has a formula that you can take it directly from the lift. And the lift is nothing more than weight of the balloon plus the gas inside giving you your lift like you calculate it normally. And yeah. you just reverse that formula, and I will bet you dollars to donuts that Bill has that formula. Okay, so if I have a cylinder that weighs 75 pounds and I pump the gas back out of my balloon into it, you think I'm going to see a difference in weight? Not at 75 pounds, but I'm talking about lift with a mylar object and calculating how much uh, gas you need. Uh, what, you already calculate which, with your spreadsheet now how much gas you have to put in to get 17 grams of lift. Well, the interesting thing is the spreadsheet gets me in a ballpark. I may, yeah. I may be off some on the uh, cubic, I'm bet cubic meters. I'm going to bet but, there's a real formula but, that but, somebody uses. But I have, what I, I have what I need because uh, I, I, can, I, can see the, I can measure the lift, and that's, that's, what I, yeah. that's what I need. That's most important for me right now. But I'm going to yeah. guarantee you there is some scientific formula that you can actually, you know, formulas are made to be reversed. So all you have to do is say, I've got X amount of lift. How much gas did I need to put in to get this lift? Well, so, how, yeah, how much yeah, uh, yeah. gas do you put uh, normally into one balloon? How how many grams, for example? Well, like I don't. I don't. I do, well, I. It's cubic feet. I, I I don't. I put cubic meters in. And yeah, for right, instance, right. for instance, on uh, this balloon right here. Uh, it looks like it has a capacity of about 1.5 cubic meters, and I'm going to put in, I'm going to put in 0.19 cubic meters, and that will give me 17 grams of lift. So. It's just a bubble in the in the balloon. That's all it is. It's not full. It's just a bubble. Yeah. It's just a, just a bubble. And I mean, there's there's your formula right there. One point five cubic meters equals how much lift? What was that? One point what? You said it put you put like one point five cubic meters in. One point nine. Yeah. One point nine cubic meters equals how much lift according to your formula? Well, it also depends on the cubic uh, volume of the balloon. That's a variable. No, 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 no. Ignore. You're not concerned with the cubic volume. You're concerned with lift. No, I, I am because I am because if I don't, if I don't have that, uh, uh, if that's if if that 0.19 uh, grams 
is not going into 1.5, let's say it goes into 1.3 cubic meters, then I'm going to have a totally different lift. That's correct. But your spreadsheet gives you that. You know that 1.9 cubic meters is what you need for your 55,000 feet. How much lift minus the weight of the balloon is does it give you? All right. Well. And you can play with that formula. Put it on a piece of paper. Write it out, and I will bet you will right. see exactly what I'm saying. So if I use 11 grams of lift with the same size balloon, if 11, 11 grams of lift, I'll get 56,036 feet high. Yeah. With, a, with an internal pressure of 0.069. Uh-huh. That's an internal pressure. If I go 17 grams free lift, that I'll, that I'll fly about 100 feet See, lower. You're already, you're already dancing around. 55971. My internal pressure is going to be 0 0.1. 0 0.1 is about 2.77 inches of water. Yeah. See, you're already dancing around the formula that I've been saying. All right, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to change it. We're gonna have to change the subject. We'll argue this thing all night, man. We'll argue this all night. I guarantee you. I put it out on paper, and you look at that and go, "Oh." We'll just have to. Let's see what's going on. Okay, nobody's on the phone. I got the phone lines open. Let's see who we got on. Uh, let's see who we got on Zoom here. We got Bill Turner. Hey, Bill, how you doing tonight? Oh, sound better if I unmute. Yeah, there uh, you doing are. Doing well, doing well. We've had uh, we've had some uh, solar activity uh, over the last day or so, and uh, uh, the bands have been uh, even worse than they they were uh, over the last weekend. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to uh, going to fade away here uh, over the next couple of days. Uh, well, I you know I, I I'm seeing reports that the bands are starting to open up 10 meters and everything so i think things are getting better right yeah we're, we're starting to get some more uh <clears throat> some some higher solar flux uh numbers but uh this particular uh, the the 11th and 12th uh, uh of this uh of this month uh we've had uh, uh a uh, coronal mass ejection and, and a solar you know solar storm that has has hit earth and that has that has not done any favors for uh, uh, propagation, uh, but uh, I think that will that will fade away over the next few days. Yeah. Um, well, I'm uh, I'm anxious for the bands to start getting better. Uh, there's been over my lifetime of ham radio, there's been some really really good years. There's been some really really bad years, and I'm ready for it to be good again. Yeah, it seems like all the, every time I get a good station put together, it's in the down year, so I really can't use it. Mm -hmm. Oh, this see. time around, it'd be the other way. Well, that's where that's where FT8 and uh, some of these uh, digital modes uh, come in handy when things when things go bad. Uh, they uh, the digital modes uh, seem to uh, handle. Uh, those conditions better than uh, trying to do it with CW or sideband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just reminded me. Talking about uh, digital modes, there is a new kit from QRP Labs. 
that just came out, which is a a transceiver for digital modes. Mm. Uh, you know that uh, Hans Summers from QRP Labs has this uh, assortment of of very very interesting kits and very uh, with very good prices. And I've just ordered one um, to and to to try it out. One of the it has a couple of interesting features, like uh, it has a, a like a high-end sound card inside, which is a 24-bit sound card, and the the power amplifier, which is I think is just about five watt or something like that. Uh, it's uh, it's designed for digital modes. Uh, I have to read a little bit, bit about it, but it's uh, uh, as it's uh, only digital mode transceiver. It's it's designed around being digital and not uh, and not for for a, a single sideband. So let's see when I, when I get it here and build it up. I'll, I'll let you know about it. I threw in the chat I, a calculator I saw uh, uh-huh. just now for calculating mass of gases and things. Maybe it's useful for something of the value. All right, thank you. And uh, let's see if Bill got in this time. Bill, are you there, Bill? No, he's not here yet. There no, he there. is. Bill? There he is. He's coming. All right, Bill. We're going to find out what, what what's wrong. Why Bill never works the first time he tries it. He always, you know, has a problem. Bill, you there? He's muted. Earth to Bill. Earth yeah, to he, Bill. He gave us the one minute. He's muted and he's obviously talking to someone else. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's working a pile up on us. Okay. Good evening. Sorry for the inconvenience That's here. Right. Um, that, I have to explain something here. I use the Zoom client because I do remote testing. Okay. Yeah. 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 And to try and put in the. the meeting code that you got and that password and it's coming no, no, up you don't need the, it you don't you don't need a, you don't you don't need password or nothing you just click on the link oh, i clicked on it but the but the, my <laughs> since yeah. you, you you're using zoom my zoom thing comes up okay yeah. and it's asking me for a password so i have okay. to go back and figure out what glenn sent me and stick it in there and it oh, said that the right. meeting was... Your Zoom is doing something different. See, I bet you, uh, we got four or five guys on here right now. I bet you nobody that came in tonight had to use a password except, uh-huh. except you. He's, he's, Do they have Zoom on their computers, though? Yes, yes. I have. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have a Zoom client on my computer, but yeah. I, I'm using the... Uh, um, Just the, the link? The list that... Uh, uh, was was published uh, by by Tom. I just yeah. you know clicked on that link and here yeah. I am. There's well, a checkbox right. when, when Zoom starts. There's a checkbox or a little dialog box that comes up and says, "Do you want to continue?" And you just click yes, and it ignores the client. Okay. Well, anyway, right. hey, so hey, I'm here now. Anyway, Sorry for the inconvenience. Hey, anyway, you're here, man. You made it. That's what's that's what's important. You made it, man. Yeah, and Rodan ran away on me. I was hoping to say hello to her before she ran away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, she's gotten a little full of herself here recently. 
they're both in this, we want to go to a cat show, and they're wondering why I'm not taking them anywhere. Uh. Because to them, hotels are like Disneyland. And the shows are kind of like, who cares about that? We want to go to Disneyland, and they haven't been to Disneyland in two years. And, you know, they're getting a little pissy about it. It, it's called cabin fever, there, Glenn. That's really what it is. Yeah, they, yeah. they miss because when I take them to a show, uh, for example, uh, we get in on the day before the show, and they are literally all night long jumping from bed to bed in the hotel room and just playing all night long. So when the showtime comes up, they're like, "Oh God, it's too early. We don't need to go to the show. Can we just stay here?" <laughs> And they sleep half the day. All right. Let's see here. Hey, guys. Uh, well, we got a minute here. I got this phone call. Let me put this on here. Let's see if I can do this. Uh, You're not going to give us this phone call about your vehicle's extended warranty, are you? No. I got this phone call from Microsoft Tech Support. Oh, yeah, I got that one, Man, too. I got this phone call from Microsoft Tech Support, and uh, I don't know, man. They, they scared me, man. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, this is Mac Horton from the Windows Technical Department. Let me stop that phone line. All right. Wherever it is. We have been receiving some error and warning reports from your computer. And as for the reports indicating that you close Oh really? Uh, wow. Now uh, you know this happened to me about about Okay, about let me start it over. Uh, here here's my call. Wasn't sure how to handle it. Alright, hello, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, uh, yeah, and uh, who's calling? Oh, this is Max Watson from the Windows Technical Department. All right? Oh. About the computer. Okay. All right. I got to get the phone line turned off. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What is going on here? And as for the report, indicating that your computer has been downloaded some unwanted junk and malicious files, which are have. Which are well, shucks. Damaging the software part of your computer, day by day. All right. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Uh, you know, this happened to me about about six months ago, and I paid somebody five hundred dollars to fix it. Okay. Is it doing it again? What? Okay. Yeah, I paid a lot of money. All right. Here we go. Is it, I, I, I did. Let's see. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, yeah. And uh, who's calling? Oh, this is Max Watson from the Windows Technical Department. All right. Oh. Talking about the computer. Okay. All right. And so actually, we have been receiving some error and warning reports from your computer, and as per the reports, indicating that your computer has been downloaded some unwanted junk and malicious files, which are have which are hampering and damaging the software part of your computer day by day. All right. Oh really? Uh, wow. Uh, you know, this happened to me about about six months ago, and I paid somebody five hundred dollars to fix it. Is it doing it again? What? 
Yeah, I paid a lot of money to have this fixed. Is it? You paid someone? I did. Someone? I did. <laughs> oh. Let me check it out, sir. Are you in front of your computer right now? Um, let me walk to it. I'm near it. Just a minute, please. Sorry? Hey, you're with Microsoft? No, no, sir. Microsoft never used to call anybody. Oh. Microsoft is just a manufacturer of Windows operating system. And we are calling you for Windows Service Center, who provides support and services to all Windows users. Oh, okay. Windows Service Center. Okay. Yes. And uh, it is a... Uh, is your computer on right now? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm at my computer. Okay. Now, what do you see on your computer screen? Well, it's just, just my desktop. All right. Just hold for a moment, sir. I just uh, transfer this call to one of my technicians, all right? Okay. And you pay $500, right? Well, yeah, I did. La yeah, last, I don't know, five or six months ago. Okay, let me check it out. Just be on hold, sir. Hello? Hello? Uh, hello? Uh, yeah, hello, sir. This is Steve Watson. I'm the senior technician of Windows Service Center. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Steve. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I paid. I didn't pay you guys. I paid a local company here, I think, when I had a problem before. Okay. So, can you just tell me, that, like, is the computer turned on? Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Okay, let me go and show you the problem. Let me check that for like, uh, how, whom did you make the payment? And we need to go and find it out like, what would be the solution to fix the problems for the permanent basis? Right now, you are getting this call for Windows Technical Department. It is a service center who provides support and services on Windows computer, okay? Yeah. So, Steve, let me, so, Steve, let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, I've got four computers here. Which one is it? Okay, can you just tell me you're using the same internet connection on all the computers? Um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so the problems which I'm talking about sir, is getting entry on the computer through the internet. So all the uh -huh. four computers getting infected. So you need to just go ahead and turn on any one of the computers so that we can able to get showing the problem. Okay. All right, now, the one I'm at right now, this one, uh, I think this is a Linux. Uh, do I have a problem with it? No, there is no problem on a Linux. Okay, so I need to go to one of my other machines, is that correct? Yeah, which is Windows. Oh, okay. All right, hold on one second. What do you think? All right, I'm almost there. Almost there. Okay. Uh, uh, no, just a desktop. All right. Do one thing. Look on your keyboard. Uh huh. At the extreme left hand side, bottom corner, you will be getting a CTRL key, the control key. Do you see that? Yeah, I see that. Yes. And just beside to the control key, do you see any full flag Windows logo key? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Press that full flag Windows key along with letter R, R as in Roger. Okay, okay, all right. After that, what comes up? Oh, I, I had a message box that popped up. And uh, just read me out. 
You, you may read it to you. Just read me out. Okay. It says, it says, uh, I, Tom, uh, find myself talking to a two-faced potbelly baboon that couldn't catch a cold if the wind was blowing. Uh, what's that mean? What's, what's that mean? So that means, I do one thing, so I just decide to the, that message box, do you see any... Yeah, let me, let me start over. Like, let, let me, let me like start, like, let me start over again. Okay, I, I hit escape. Um, okay, you may hit the Windows R, is that right? Yes. Okay. Okay, okay, this box came up again. It says, it says, I, Tom... Find myself talking to a two-faced potbelly baboon that couldn't catch a cold if the wind was blowing. I, I don't understand. Uh, you're not understand, right? I don't understand that. I can explain you, sir. Look, look at the very bottom of the screen, okay? Yeah. Look at the very bottom of the screen. Do you see someone, your mother, very badly? No, it, it's, it's mainly talking about you. You know, you guys call me every week, maybe two times or three times a week. The biggest scam thing I've ever heard. You know, why don't you get a life? Are, are you ready to hang up on me? All right. Well, I guess we got rid of him. Yep, we got rid of him. All right. So... <clears throat> I don't know, man. I like to talk to these guys. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys heard it or not on the remotes here, but that was one of my weekly calls from Microsoft Support Center. Mm. You have far more patience with them than I do. I, 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 I've got a goal set. I want to try to keep them on the phone for at least one hour. That'll that'll probably at least save a couple of grandmas, you know, from getting tricked, you know? <laughs> what you need to do his Windows R and just keep mistyping what he wants you to type in the run box. Yeah, man. I, I've, <clears throat> seen some, I've seen a couple of videos uh, on the internet of people that well, really, really know what they're doing that uh, uh, get into the computers of these guys and I've saw one that they even uh, uh -huh. show their webcam to the to themselves on their monitor. So yeah, it's yeah they hack them yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's cool. ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, the ones, I saw once one that uh, <clears throat> he deleted deleted all the files of 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 the of the scammer computer. And and this guy in India, whatever, started crying and and begging for him to give back all the files and everything. It was like really, really incredible. But I don't know. Yeah. So well, you know, I talked to one of them one time, and I actually got him talking to me, and I asked him why Why do you do this? And he says, Well, he says there's no other job here. He said this is the only yeah. job I can get. He said, it puts food in my family. You know, he says, no other job. And we talked. He said, where do you work? And, and he said, well, can you get me a job? You know, you, you have offices. And, can you get me a job? So, you know, I, I guess there's areas that, that this is an easy job to get, and there's probably no other jobs available. 
Yes, it's not their fault. It's the yeah. fault of yeah. the organization, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's not their fault that they hacked you and ripped off your money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody said we ought to add Echo Link here. Huh? We could probably do that pretty easily. Um, I did. Uh, I, that's a that's a possibility. We're gonna add Echo Link here. I tried to get the uh, website updated and get all the international phone numbers put on our website because we do have local phone numbers in 65 countries out there. Uh, hey, if you're listening out there in WBCQ, International Shortwave, you've been listening to a discussion uh, about ham radio and some other things. Uh, we're glad you're with us tonight. I would love to hear from you. Send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, tell us where you are, and um, hit the subscribe button out there. For everybody uh, that's watching the video, please hit the subscribe button. We'd love to uh, uh, have you subscribe. It helps us out there. we got just a few more minutes before our shortwave uh, station, uh, will, our, our segment will turn off there. What time does the show play on WBCQ? Um, that question came from AC5CM. That's actually my son, Chris, down in down in Austin, Texas, down there, where where they're having trouble with the police department, or the police are having trouble with them, or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, it starts on Thursday afternoon from five to seven p.m. Five to seven p.m. Eastern. Four to six p.m. Thursday Central Time. On 7490. If you'd like to listen to this show, uh, you can find it there on International Shortwave. Well, good night, everybody. Uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed your uh, your program, and uh, good luck with the uh, with the balloon launch. Well, thank you, and um, we're gonna keep on trying. I think I, I I feel good about this launch. I think we can. I think we can break that. I think we can break that glass ceiling right there. Right, Forty-five thousand is the glass ceiling that everybody flies at big bucks, and uh, I think we're going to break it for six bucks. Yeah, that's the cool part is how cheap these balloons are, where this material is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll go ahead and probably sign off here too. Uh, hey, Charlie, good to see you again tonight, and. Let's see, uh, Bill, good to, good to hear from you there. Don't forget, NearFest this weekend. Yeah, NearFest is coming this weekend, October 15 and 16. Don't forget the masks and bring the hand sanitizer. <clears throat> we will be doing uh, examinations for ham radio licenses on Saturday morning, 10 o'clock to noon. So if you're looking for a license and a place to go to take your license, hey, We'll be there. I keep saying I need right. to get me one of those licenses one of these days. Well, you, you you have to have a license to be a ham radio operator. Oh that's yeah, what that's what he's saying. I'm I'm gonna yeah. have this. Yeah, oh, wow. I just thought you picked up these numbers <clears throat> and made them sound good, and that's what you did. All right, guys. Good night. It's uh, time to terminate the show and think about some popcorn and maybe some TV. And then I'll uh, do a little editing editing here and get this on our podcast and on 
all the other places. See you. Uh, see you next week. Now, with my regards to Kathy. Good night. I will. Good, good night, Bill. Good night, uh, Charlie. All right. Good night to everybody in the chat room. We will see you guys.